DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great presents St. Catherine of Siena, her life and teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. Father McDermott is a Dominican priest and region of studies of the province of St. Albert the Great. He's the author of Filled with All the Fullness of God, An Introduction to Catholic Spirituality, and Catherine of Siena, Spiritual Development in Her Life and Teaching. Proclaimed a Doctor of the Church in 1970, St. Catherine of Siena is considered one of the great mystical doctors of the Church. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI has said that she still speaks to us today and impels us to walk courageously toward holiness to be ever more fully disciples of the Lord. St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. And we're talking about the life of St. Catherine of Siena and exploring some of those pivotal moments, those experiences that she had in prayer that would really affect her spiritual development. As she's growing in her spiritual life, as she's growing in this relationship, she's being called to more solitude, isn't she? Yes. Uh huh. Can you help us to understand the difference between solitude and feeling and being isolated? Well, Saint Catherine um, wanted to devote herself entirely to Christ, and she felt that's what that's what Christ wanted of her too. And uh, that solitude would involve some isolation. It would involve silence. And the place that she decided to enact it was uh, under the staircase in her family house. There's a little niche there, and it's been preserved. If you go to Siena, you can see it. And they have some other things that belong to her on display there. She stayed in that little niche under the staircase off and on for about three years, which isn't to say that she didn't come out for Mass. Uh, Probably came out every day for that. She did receive visitors, especially priests, especially Dominicans, because she loved to talk uh, about the faith with others and to pick their brains. And sometimes she would do more of the talking than they would. Hmm. But then for the most part, she stayed put, you know, in that little niche. And uh, I once lived in St. Louis. St. Louis has its own saint. Her tomb is there, St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. And if you go to the old St. Ferdinand Shrine on the northern part of the metro area, they have the building where she lived, and at least in one part of her life. And underneath the staircase, there is another niche. And there she would spend her nights, and she wanted to be there because from there she could look directly into the chapel and see the Blessed Sacrament or see the tabernacle with the Blessed Sacrament. And now pilgrims who come to that site in St. Louis leave little pieces of paper with their petitions on it. So Rose Philippine Duchenne also had this um, instinct to spend time alone with the Lord in a secluded place under the staircase. This caused nothing short of uh, total anxiousness for her mother, Lapa, didn't it, this behavior? Well, she was a typical Italian mother for the day and wanted to make sure that all her daughters got married off. And Catherine was not the only vocation really that was open to women in, in, in those days, as far as the church was concerned, was as a cloistered nun. And Catherine didn't disparage that vocation. She had great respect for it. And she sent many young women to monasteries, young women who she knew had vocations to that kind of life. 
She herself started a, a Dominican monastery of nuns outside of Siena towards the end of her life, but it wasn't her vocation. She felt called, I believe, to be more directly involved in the salvation of souls, and that's why she joined the Dominican Third Order, and that allowed her, but not easily, to uh, move out of Siena, to, as I said in the last show, to places like Florence and, and Pisa and Avignon and then Rome, where she died, which uh, she never could have done if she was a cloistered nun. Explain to us what a third order is. Well, a third order is a group of lay people who have associated themselves with one of the main religious orders, like the Dominicans, like the Franciscans, uh, the Benedictines have oblates. These are people who want to live a modified uh, rule of life modeled after the charism of that particular religious order. And uh, they don't live with the Dominican friars or the Benedictines, what have you. No, they, many of them would be married. Most of them would be married and uh, they would live in their homes, but they would um, embrace certain aspects of the religious order's life as lay people. And so it was um, kind of like a confraternity or a pious society that uh, was meant to help people grow in holiness. And they would have monthly meetings. And uh, in Catherine's day, at least in Siena, it just consisted of women. And they dressed more or less like nuns in a type of Dominican habit. Most of them were widows. She was the youngest one. Initially, they didn't want to admit her because they thought she might cause scandal in the group and leave and get married. But she uh, badgered them. She was a very strong personality, badgered them until they gave her admission. But she continued to live at home or occasionally in the house of her friend, uh, Alessa de Saracini, who belonged to one of the noble families. And of course, she was on the road a lot and she would stay in the homes of friends and, and uh, what we would call today benefactors. There is a period in her life where her family, as we spoke before, that kind of gave that fertile ground for this good fruit that would be her spiritual life. But then there came a time, as you said, the concern, what what would she do? What will she become? That mm -hmm. a period of, can we say, persecution came for Catherine? Yes, there were. she was persecuted in the family, but the more I think about it, the more sympathetic I am to the family. They were just concerned about her future. You know, they, uh, they were living in times in which there wasn't anything like Social Security or Medicare, Medicaid and all this. And they really were uh, correct in being concerned about the future of their children. And um, if Catherine had gone into a monastery of Dominican nuns, I don't think they would have worried about it. I don't think they would have opposed it whatsoever. But she was proposing to do something that was normally done only by old women, by widows, and they worried about her. But I have to say, after she made her promises as a Dominican uh, Third Order member or tertiary, they let her alone. They didn't bother her anymore. They apparently saw her vows or promises, whatever they were, as irrevocable, and they respected that. And surprisingly, at a certain point after the death of Catherine's father, her mother, Lapa, even becomes a member of the Third Order herself and, and wears a type of habit. She would, around this time, have a dream of St. Dominic that really affected her as well. Well, the, the third order that was closest to her house were the Dominican mantled women. They were called the mantellate, mm -hmm. the, the, the mantled ones. They wore a cloak, a mantle over their white habits. She was receiving no encouragement in that vocation at all from her family or from 
the uh, Dominican Third Order Sisters themselves. And I think she needed encouragement. And so St. Dominic, she said, appeared to her in a dream or a vision one night and assured her that she would one day wear the Dominican habit. And that uh, gave her a lot of peace of mind. And, and sure enough, she did. She was admitted at a certain point. That experience of the dream is one that some of us may have at some point in our life. It, how do we know when it's something that is of God or something of our own psychological uh, outgrowth? Well, it's, uh, it's not that easy to know. But Catherine uh, gives us a little uh, way to discern this in the dialogue, and it's not original to her. She borrows it from other sources in the Christian tradition, that when one has a religious experience, whether it's a vision or a dream or something, if it results in a desire to be virtuous, to acquire in your life more of the virtues, uh, faith, hope, charity, prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude, so on and so forth, if it really results in your being a better person, as Christians would understand that expression, then it might be uh, legitimate. It might have been a, a genuine vehicle that God was using to express his will to a certain individual. On the other hand, such experiences can be uh, prompted by the fallen human spirit or even by the diabolic spirit. And the end result there is uh, there's no thirst. There's no special desire to grow in virtue. Discernment is something that Catherine would grow more and more attuned to, even in those younger years, as mm -hmm. she's uh, trying to discern her own vocation. Yes. Um, it was one of the more important uh, virtues. She had uh, a kind of a priority or hierarchy of virtues. The first one, of course, was love and then humility. And then surprisingly, uh, patience was the third one that she talks the most about. And then probably after that discernment, which in her mind was a lot like prudence, you know, knowing what to do in the beginning. But um, she said when the, when the soul really sees really sees how much it's loved by God. Uh, its first, first reaction is, is humility. You know, it's humbled. You know, who am I before this immense, infinite God to be, uh, you know, to receive his attention, much less to be loved by him. And then the second movement is uh, to really reach out and love, uh, to return the love that we, we love the one loving us. And then she says, and she was always very, very practical, that the, the way in which we know whether we really have these two values of love and humility is whether we're patient or not. Because love can be faked for a while, humility can be faked for a while, but patience really is seldom faked. Hmm. So if you're patient with others, uh, then probably you do have, to a certain extent, the virtues of humility and love. These times when she's in her her cell, as it were, this period, she would grow more in relationship as well with the Blessed Mother. The Blessed Mother mm -hmm. is a, a very important figure in Catherine's life. Well, she is. Uh, we might expect her to have received more attention from Catherine, but she's definitely there. But uh, so is Mary Magdalene. Now, why Mary Magdalene? Well, because she was the patroness of the Dominican Order. And there are a lot of legends surrounding Mary Magdalene, how she was put into a boat after the ascension of Christ by her enemies and 
set adrift in the sea with her disciples and the boat landed on the shore in the south of France and she got off the boat and and began uh, preaching valiantly to the to the pagans there even preached before the governor and she converted all of them and um, Catherine has immense admiration for Mary Magdalene as a uh, a female apostle to the apostles is how she described her. And um, in one of her letters, she says she, she was like a drunken woman, that she didn't care what other people thought. And that's really a reflection of um, the kind of person Catherine had to be because she had so many detractors. Women just didn't do the things that St. Catherine of Siena did. They didn't have uh, disciples surrounding them at all times who were more men than women. They didn't move from place to place. That was, that was uh, prohibited very clearly in the rule of the Dominican Third Order. But uh, she discerned it over a period of years and felt that the Lord was calling her to do this. And so she did it. But, uh, and she lost some of her disciples as a result of that. But the results, I think, are clear to see. She got the Pope to come back to Rome and, and many other good things in addition We'll return to St. Catherine of Siena, her life and teachings with Father Thomas McDermott in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Catherine of Siena My nature is fire. In your nature, eternal God, I shall come to know my nature. And what is my nature, boundless love? It is fire, because you are nothing but a fire of love. And you have given humankind a share in this nature, for by the fire of love you created us. And so, with all other people and every created thing, you made them out of love. Oh, ungrateful people, what nature has your God given you? His very own nature. Are you not ashamed to cut yourself off from such a noble thing through the guilt of deadly sin? Oh, eternal Trinity, my sweet love, you, light, give us light. You, wisdom, give us wisdom. You, supreme strength, strengthen us. Today, eternal God, let our cloud be dissipated so that we may perfectly know and follow your truth in truth with a free and simple heart. 
God, come to our assistance. Lord, make haste to help us. Amen. If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with Discerning Hearts programs, please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts. We now return to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings, with Father Thomas McDermott. In this time of solitude, you would write that one of the most important things that would come forward was the fundamental maxim. Oh, yeah. Well, um, the Lord began to appear to her uh, first as a teacher and then eventually as a father to a daughter. And uh, at no point is there any uh, evidence in the record that she feared the Lord. You know, she always loved him. And she was very, we would say, cataphatic. You know, she had a very uh, positive theology of, of seeing God and touching God in the person of Christ. The Lord taught her many things. Uh, Raymond recounts some of them in his biography of her. But Catherine had a theological mind, despite the fact that she wasn't educated. And the cornerstone of her spiritual thought or theology was what Raymond of Capua came to call her fundamental maxim. It was the fundamental teaching, the cornerstone of her life and of her spiritual thought, which eventually was expressed in the dialogue, which is a mature synthesis, reflects a mature synthesis of her thought. And this is what it is. One day the Lord appeared to her, Christ appeared to her and said, Catherine, do you know who you are? And do you know who I am? Uh, I am who I am. You are she who is not. Now, those are the, uh, that's an adaptation of the words from Moses talking to the Lord in the, in the burning bush where the Lord identifies himself and names are very important as the one who is, I am who I am, or is translated variously. And Catherine took it to mean, you know, I am being, I am the fullness of being, and you are not, which it's not a negative statement. It's just a statement of fact. It wasn't saying that she, that she as a human being was corrupt or depraved or wicked or anything, which other commentators might have said in her time. Certainly some of them did. What it means is that we only participate in the life of God or the being of God and that he created us out of nothing and he sustains us in our being, in our existence uh, at every moment. And the moment he withdraws uh, his being from us, we simply cease to exist. There's not even any struggle. This thought, as simple as it sounds, and it's not negative, it's neutral, possibly positive too, is really a very profound thought that we're not center stage, you know, that God is center stage and that everything that we have is God's gift to us. As St. Paul says, what have you received that uh, you've not gotten from God? And uh, I suppose the immediate virtue that arises from a deep contemplation of this fundamental 
uh, maxim is humility. And so that, as simple as it may sound, you are, I am he who is, you are she who is not. This, this became the cornerstone of her spiritual thought. And her thought on the subject deepened. Um, she compared it to, uh, she has so many ways of talking about things in the dialogue. She was very fond of images. Images were her chosen means of, to communicate her spiritual thought to others. And one of the things, one of the ways she does this is through the well, that when you, you're digging a well, you go through this dry, dusty earth. That's the experience of knowing that apart from God, we are nothing, that we only participate in his being. But then at a certain point, you hit water as you dig deeper in the well. And this is the living water. This is another dimension of the truth that, yes, we are, we are only participants in God's being, but he made us in his image and likeness so, so that we could be in relationship with him, that we do have a vocation to participate in God's supreme beauty. So it's a double truth. Part of our being apart from God also or, or only existing uh, in a, participa a participatory way in his being is uh, that we've also messed up at times, that as a result of defective knowledge, we've loved wrongly ourselves and others and things, and we've committed sin. And, uh, and this has shrunk our humanity. But the, it's a double truth. And the two truths, Catherine says, must always be kept together. Otherwise, we're going to slip into despair and depression or a slip into pride. That apart from God, we're nothing, but he made us in his image and likeness, we are called to participate more and more in his supreme beauty. It's all about order, isn't it, Father McDermott? I mean, there just seems to be a, a sense of right order that it, it dispels chaos then. It did. She, like a lot of medieval people, um, saw the universe as, as orderly and as reasonable many things, of course, that we can't understand, but it's not because they're not reasonable. It's because of the limitations uh, of, our, of our intellects, of our intelligences. She also, having that sense of that God is supreme and having that, that sense of order, that the importance of loving others, but in him. Am I, am right. I stating that properly? Yes, right. You know, she was mystic. She was also a people person, as I said earlier, and uh, she enjoyed being around people. People enjoyed being with her. She was very insistent that the quality of our love of God is manifested in the quality of our relationships with others, that if you want to know how good your, your love of God is, the quality of your love, just look at the quality of your relationships with others and not necessarily with the ones you, only with the ones you love most, but with anyone, your neighbor, anyone who's in need. That will reveal to us really how much we love God. And um, Catherine was one of these saints who was prepared to do absolutely anything for God and anything she thought that would advance the, the cause of salvation for an individual person. She was prepared to do that too. She went to uh, extraordinary lengths to uh, minister to the souls of others. And, and she, she exercised spiritual maternity you know, she didn't have any children of her own, but she brought to birth, spiritually speaking, many souls, many people that she came into contact with, so much so that the Pope granted her the, the special permission to always have priests move around with her and her uh, community of young disciples 
and hear confessions anywhere. They didn't have to get the permission of the local bishop. Anywhere they went, if someone, after listening to Catherine, felt that they wanted to go to confession and she would encourage them to do that, there was a priest available in her group to hear the confession and give absolution. The Pope granted that extraordinary dispensation um, to this priest who was with her. Wow. Wow. Well, in this time in her life, too, we would think that, just by what we've discussed so far, it was all uh, beatitude, that it seemed all heavenly for Catherine, and yet there would come a time, probably, what, maybe about 17, 18 years old, she begins to experience temptation and a real struggle with what would be called in the biography just uh, experiences of the diabolical or demonic temptation. Mm-hmm. Well, after, um, remember I said she was in her, this niche under the staircase, which she called this a cell, mm-hmm. and it's not a prison cell, it's a, a cell, a small room in a monastery, and uh, from that arose her expression of the cell of self-knowledge, which we'll get to later, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Her experience in the cell was initially one of great consolations, you know, of good feelings, the Lord talking to her and the excitement that that aroused, et cetera, et cetera. But at a certain point, it seemed to her that he had just abandoned her, that he wasn't there anymore, that he had just kind of checked out. This is a common experience of of many mystics. We think of St. John of the Cross and the, the book that he wrote on this extended period of the spiritual life called Dark Night of the Soul. Catherine actually called it the dark night of self-knowledge. It was uh, an excruciating period for her. But uh, the Lord initiated this because he wanted to uh, manifest to her the actual quality of her love. That up to this point, she was not so much loving him as loving his gifts, by which I mean the consolation that she had been receiving. And he wanted her to see this herself. So he withdrew the gifts, all the good feelings. And then she realized that um, that's really, that really was the basis of her faith, not genuine love for God. Many people would have fallen back at that point and given up, you know, their walk with Christ. But she learned that true faith and true love is shown that uh, during times when the consolations are withdrawn, we do feel abandoned, but we continue to walk with the Lord. And that reminds us of uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, because mm-hmm. she, some people have suggested, will be called someday the saint of the dark night, because there was apparently no end to her dark night. Uh, it began and it lasted something like 30 years where the Lord never did return uh, with his feelings. Um, when, when the Lord did return to St. Catherine of Siena with the feelings of his presence, She asked him, you know, where were you? What did you do? Why did you let this happen to me? And he said, I was with you the whole time, Catherine. My grace was with you the entire time. I just withdrew the effects of the grace, the feeling of the grace, but I never left you. You know, I think that's how Mother Teresa regarded it too, that uh, the feelings of being loved, of the Lord being present to her, they were not there, but she kept on going, as English would say, she soldiered on, you know, for decades. And, uh, and that's why I think she became a saint. Nobody could believe it when she, uh, when it became known that she had had the dark night for the, for a large part of her life. 
being comfortable then maybe say in that secret cell within the heart, I mean, that becomes a place that even in the dark night becomes a place where where one can go, can't they? Mm -hmm. She developed the teaching of the cell of self-knowledge. Again, it's not a prison cell. It's a monastic cell, monastery cell. And that uh, she was incredibly active. You know, she was in the world all the time. And yet she was also a mystic. She was uh, a contemplative who was a mystic. She learned to live in a state of recollection, we would say, so that no matter where she was physically, that she was always recollected. She was always focused on the Lord. And she was carrying about within her, in a sense, the whole experience of the cell, no matter where she was. It kept her anchored or centered. And she referred to it as the cell of self-knowledge. That that's a, a huge takeaway for all of us as well, isn't it? I mean, that is something, especially in the chaotic world in which we live, to know that no matter where you are, you can have that cell. Yes, it is. It's a it's a you know a huge consolation for us today. There can be tendencies in biographies of just about any saint, quite frankly, but in particular on Catherine, where. Sometimes in some periods, there may be certain, can we say, agendas that Mm -hmm. uh, might be driving the representation of the life as opposed to going back to those original sources as you spoke of. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think that's very true. And I've noticed over the years that uh, most people, if they know anything about St. Catherine of Siena, know just one thing how she, quote-unquote, stood up to the Pope and kind of told him off that it was time for him to leave France and go back to Rome. And I suppose, and I know, that some uh, conclusions have been drawn, you know, that, uh, you know, she was anti-institutional church or um, didn't respect the role of the papacy. All of that is very untrue. And if you read the whole, as it would be presented in a good biography, you'll say, see that this woman had a very deep love for the church. And one of the reasons why she was listened to by popes was because they knew that she was speaking or even criticizing from the heart of the church, from one who loved the church deeply. And, you know, that reminds me that there is no authentic spirituality that is above the church or apart from the church. No, uh, Catherine got it right. As she became more in love with the Lord, uh, she came to love the church too, which is his body. Mm. Thank you so much, Father McDermott. You're welcome. You've been listening to St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott. To hear and or to download this recording, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Albert the Great. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for St. Catherine of Siena, Her Life and Teachings with Father Thomas McDermott.